Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. You know, sometimes we misunderstand how good and how generous God is. Over the last few weeks as we've been in the book of Romans, I felt a, and I've shared with you, I felt a compelling burden to share with people about Jesus Christ and the message of salvation. I've had a stronger burden than usual. I've always had a heart for people to come to know Jesus. It's always been part of what makes me tick, what excites me. Uh, I, even as soon as I came to Christ as a young man, I felt like inside of my heart, I want, I want to tell other people about Jesus. I want to see other people come to know him. And one of the things that's characterized this church is that this church is made up of a lot of what we call first-generation believers, that a lot of people, you're here, you came to Christ at this church. Uh, you experienced God's love and heard the gospel for the first time at this church. The majority of the people in this church aren't people that were believers already or who mother and father were believers, but most of you have come to know Jesus for the first time in a powerful way in this place. And I think that makes this a unique kind of place, a place where many people of all kinds of walks have come to know God. And I love that about this. But sometimes we misunderstand who God is and how generous God is. Sometimes we don't understand really how God works. We think God is distracted, that he doesn't really know us, that he can't multitask, that we're sort of lost in the crowd. And some of us have this idea that when you were born, God never really noticed you, that you were born as one little number among the trillions of billions of people that live currently in this earth, that how could God really care about you when there are seven billion people on the face of this earth? And why would God care about your little life and your destiny and know your name and care about your heartaches because he's got bitter, bigger things to worry about and bigger things to do in the universe? And we have this idea that God is distant, that he's far, that he doesn't know us, that we don't really have this connection with God because God could care less about our lives. Some people think like that. We're like the little boy who was at a parochial school going through the lunch line and the nuns really wanted to make sure the boys only took one apple. And so at the beginning of the lunch line, there was these bright red apples and there was one of the nuns had written a note that said, take only one, God is watching. <laughs> so one of the boys was walking through the lunch line and he saw that and when he got to the end of the lunch line, there was a jar of cookies there. And some little boy had scribbled on another note, take as many of you want, God's watching the apples. <laughs> You know, sometimes, we, sometimes we, we just don't understand how big God is. 
We don't understand that God can have his eyes on many things. I had a chameleon. My son, Grant, who's 13, he decided he wanted a pet. And we didn't want a monkey, and we didn't want um, another dog. So we figured the, probably the least uh, maintenance-free animal would be a lizard. So uh, we went out, and he found a chameleon, which is one of these lizards that change colors. Are you familiar with what it is? It's great entertainment when we had people over because he would eat grasshoppers or crickets. And so we would buy live crickets, put it in there, and he would hunt them down, shoot out his tongue, eat them. So that was the Job House entertainment. (laughs) But the thing about this chameleon that was interesting is that he could, his eyes were really funny. They would rotate on their own. So he could point one eye down here and another eye over there. They're not like our eyes that are kind of connected together and and, and have to move together. The chameleon can look over here with one eye and and, and kind of rotate the other eye to look wherever he wants. And, you know, it was always fun to look at him because he could look at two different places at different times. Multiply that times a billion. You see, God's capacity to notice. The world and where we live is not like your capacity and my capacity that's so limited. God has this incredible love and this incredible understanding. And I want you to know something. When you walked in this place today, you didn't suddenly pop on God's radar system. God doesn't just live in churches. I've heard people say a lot, I don't think I want to go to church because, whoa, if God sees me. Hold on, you think he only lives in this building? You think God hangs out in the building and whatever happens outside of the world, he's oblivious to? No, 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 you got the wrong idea. God is not sheltered in a little church building. You don't suddenly show up on the radar and leave his radar system when you walk out of this church building. No, no, no. He's the God of the universe. He's omnipotent. He's omniscient. He knows you. Listen to me. Some of you walked in this place and you are very, very far from God. Yet God has known your name and watched your story and seen your thoughts and followed you into your party scene, the dark corners of that bar that you hung out two weeks ago, God's there too. You see, God has been tracking you, knowing you, loving you, chasing you. And some of you that are totally unchurched and far from God, you're here today, to, you're here today this morning, Because the love of God somehow has reached out to you. Because a family member, a friend, a relative somehow invited you. You got an invitation. You heard on the radio. Someone gave you a flyer. Somehow God has brought you to this place because the God of the universe, this omnipotent God that has always been and will always be, he knows your name. It's incredible. And I want you to understand what God wants to do. At the end of this service, I'm going to ask people to come forward that want to give their lives to Christ, receive Him as their Savior, Lord, repent, believe,
And yes, I'm going to ask people to be baptized. Oh, I'm telling you in advance because I want you to think about it through this service. I'm telling you in advance that at the end of this service, I'm going to call some of you to make a decision, a clear-cut decision, a decision that you've never made in all of your life. You thought about it. You thought that you're unworthy of it at times. But I'm going to ask you at the end of this service whether you are at the point in your life where you are ready. God has been working on you for a long time, calling you with his incredible love, reaching out to you in ways. And I'm going to ask you, are you ready to say yes to God at the end of this service? At the end of the service, I'm going to ask people to come forward and stand in front of me. And I'm going to pray a prayer. And then I'm going to challenge you, if you're ready to follow Jesus Christ, if you would be willing to take the step that the early church took and they went straight to the waters of baptism. We have two baptismal tanks there ready with water. I know you didn't come here ready to be baptized. I know you didn't expect that to happen today, but sometimes God is the God of the unexpected. Amen? Amen. Romans chapter 5. I've been talking about the good news and bad news, and today I want to talk to you more about the good news than the bad news. Romans is focused on how lost we are. And part of the theme of Romans is how much we need God and how on our own power we cannot make it to God and how that we all have sinned and we all have fallen very, very short of God's standard. And someone has to pay the price for our sin and the debt that we've incurred to a holy God. Romans over and over has pointed to Jesus as the one that's the debt payer, the only one that can pay this huge debt that we owe God. And now in this passage in Romans, Paul continues to talk and he tells us what happens, how God has reached out to us when we did not know him and we are made right with God. Several walls are broken down and several things happen. And I'm going to begin reading in verse 1. He says, therefore... Since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. As we look at these first few verses of Romans, the Apostle Paul tells us that there's three things that God gives us, pours out into our lives, that we don't deserve, but he gives us anyways when he's reaching out to us. The first thing is we have peace with God and have entered into a place of grace when we say yes to God. Notice he says, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, how many of you have ever word that, read that word justified in the Bible? Have you ever read that word justified? It's not a word that we use normally in our English language, so many people don't understand what justification means. Justification is God's act of removing the guilt and the penalty of our sin at the same time that he declares us righteous through the sacrifice of Jesus. 
That's justification. Uh, let, let me explain it a different way. So let's just say that let's just say that you're three months behind on your rent. <clears throat> when you're three months behind on your rent, you avoid your landlord at all costs. <laughs> if you're in, if you're in uh, Pete's Grocery Market over there and you see the landlord on aisle three, you make sure that you're on aisle 10. And people see you ducking with your cart like this. If you have a baby, you stick your head in the stroller and say, hey, how you doing, little baby? And you walk like this because you are avoiding your landlord. Why? Because you owe your landlord something, and you know that your relationship with your landlord is going to be tense. Because if you see your landlord, he's going to say, hey, there you are. How come you're not answering my phone calls? I've been by your house. I've texted you. I've called you. Where is my rent? You owe me something. Right? So with God, it's the same way. You see, with God, we have incurred this incredible, deep, powerful penalty and debt called sin. We have accumulated sin day after day, year after year. We have lied and cheated and gossiped and had envy and hatred in our hearts. And we have told, told half-truths and we have not shown compassion to people that needed compassion. So we have sinned by omission and we have sinned by direct disobedience to God. And so we have incurred this huge debt before God. And so sometimes when we get around the things of God, we feel like that tenant that's hiding from the landlord. We walk into church and we come with our head low because we feel like, wow, I owe God a lot. I mean, I've really messed up. And so we walk around with shame. We avoid spiritual things. We don't want to read the Bible. We don't want to come to church because as soon as we get around the things of God, it's like getting around someone that we owe something to. It's uncomfortable to us. And Paul says, you see, when we came to Jesus and we've come to Christ, when you say yes to God, yes to Jesus Christ, and cross that line, now you are justified before God. All that debt that you owed has been paid. You no longer are a debtor. And therefore, since you're no longer a debtor, you've been justified. How? Through faith. It's not something that you work for. It's not something that you've earned. It's not something that you've deserved. We saw that in the last chapter. You've received it simply by faith. Uh, this is a hard truth for some people to understand because it seems easy. Listen, it may seem easy, but it's harder than what you understand. It may seem easy, but it's not cheap. You see, we receive the gift of God through faith. We believe that Jesus has the power to cleanse us, wash us, and make us new. We believe that he is the son of God, that he died on that cross, and that no one else can pay the price. And because we believe it, we believe, we repent, and we receive that gift. And listen to what he says. It says, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, 
We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. Now, here's what I want you to understand. Some of us, you haven't had peace with God for years and years and years. Some of you here don't know what it means to have peace with God because you've never had peace with God. You see, as long as you owe God, you can't have full peace with God. Some of you here, you've lived all your life without having peace with God. And when you don't have peace with God, you don't have peace with yourself because you were made and created to live in right relationship with God. You were designed to have a right relationship with God and when you don't have peace with God, you don't have peace with yourself. Your soul is ill at ease. And what he tells us is that we have been justified, therefore we have peace with God. Listen, there is no other way to have peace with God except through, listen, he says through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom he, we have gained access, say that word, access. Access by faith into his grace. You see, this word access means entry. I was um, speaking at a conference not too long ago and they, uh, they put me in a nice hotel with my wife. And so I, I was, they said, uh, when, when I went to re register at the front desk of the hotel, they said, this is your key. This key right here will give you access into your room. You swipe it. But we've also given you access to another room. This is a room that gives you complimentary food, there's drinks, there's television, there's um, access to as much as you wanna eat, but you have to use this access pass to get in that room. So I went up to this hotel, this fancy hotel, and I went up to the door of my room and I swiped it, and the door wouldn't open. That ever happened to you? So you flip it around, you swipe it again, flip it around, swipe it, then you bang it, kick it, hit it, swipe it up, swipe it down, swipe it sideways, this, that, the other. It's like, I have no access here. So I had to get in the elevator, go all the way down, stairs to the reception desk, and I said, I, my access key is not working. And the, the lady said, well, excuse me, sir, sorry about that. Let me reprogram it. And so she put it through a machine, and gave it back to me. When I went up to my room, now suddenly, before I did not have access because I, I didn't have the right key to access what was waiting for me. Behind that door was a nice big room. A bed there was comfortable, but I was left out in the hallway because I had no access. So once I had that key, I swiped it, and yes, that little green light went on, and I went into the room, and it was a nice room, a very nice hotel. And then as I started walking down the hallway with my wife, I passed a double door there. I looked inside. People had plates of food, and they were eating, and it was this nice environment, and I'm looking from the outside, and I looked at my key, and I said, look, honey, I have access. 
And as soon as I swiped that key, and I was hungry, when I swiped that key, suddenly I had access to this room where there was free food. Yes. Because I had an access key. What Paul is telling us is that up until now, you have not had access to the grace of God, the favor of God, this place of God's favor, because you've been debtors. When God sees you, he sees the penalty of your sin upon you, a debt that you and I cannot pay. We failed miserably. We've sinned thousands of times. So we do not have access to what God has for us, but when we come to God through Jesus Christ, it is faith. And when God applies his forgiveness and justifies us, now suddenly he gives us an access code into his grace. And so we go to God now and we swipe the faith card and suddenly we, uh, we have access to a room. It's called the grace room. Oh, let me tell you, you want to be in the grace room. What is grace? Grace is the unmerited, undeserved favor of God. Listen, when you're in the grace room, you don't have to prove that you're worthy of God's love because you already know that he loves you. When you're in the grace room, God is a friend of yours. When you're in the grace room, the door of access is permanently open to him and you can talk to him whenever you want without shame or guilt because you have access to the grace room. When you are in that place of grace, listen, you spend more time praising God and less time hating yourself for the sins that you've committed because you know that you have been washed and cleansed and justified before God because you have access to his grace. <laughs> Through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. You see, some of you aren't standing in the grace of God right now because you have not accessed it through faith. So you're hiding through the corridors of life, feeling guilty about your life and the shame because you owe God. But listen, if someone were to come and say, I have a gift for you, and you say, what is that gift? I, I have three months rent payment for you. And I've gone to the landlord and I've paid your debt. And not only have I paid your debt, but I've paid three months in advance as well. So I paid the three months that you owed and I paid three months in advance. Let me tell you now, you want to see that landlord. You want to say, hey landlord, it's me. Hey, I see you in aisle five. Three months in advance. You know that sink that's been clogged? I think you should clean it now because I fixed it because three months. You see, when we have been cleansed by God of the debt that we owe and righteousness has been imputed onto us, not only has our debt been washed away, but we have been given righteousness into our account. So now we are walking in the favor of God. We are no longer slaves, but sons and daughters of the Most High God. That's how we live and that's how we walk. 
The second thing that we not only do we get peace with God, then he tells us in verse 3, not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope, and hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. So Paul says not only do we receive peace with God, but we also have the joy in God even when we're going through difficult times because we know that there's a purpose. You see, just because you come to God and give your life to Christ doesn't mean that all your problems go away. Some people have misunderstood Christianity. And they think that if I come to God, suddenly the magic dust will be poured on my marriage and my wife is going to love me now when right now she can't stand me. Listen, if you come to Christ today, and your wife is at home fuming over how much she can't stand you, you can come to Christ, get to this altar, be washed of your sins, cleansed before God, full of the Holy Spirit, and when you go back home, your wife is still not going to be able to stand you. (laughs) But you say, well, honey, I'm saved. And she's going to say, yeah, well, you better go save your own self and clean the garage. You see, coming to God doesn't take your problems away. It doesn't eliminate all your problems. If you're in debt right now, listen, you're going to come, get saved, give your life to Christ, go home. You will still, your your credit debt and those those payment due bills aren't going to disappear just because you give your life to Jesus. If you've been diagnosed with cancer, listen, you come to God, give your life to Jesus, guess what? You go back, you'll probably still be diagnosed with cancer. If you're having trouble at school being able to pass algebra and you come to Christ and give your life to Jesus, it's not like suddenly you're going to be an expert in algebra. That's not the way it works. But what he is saying is this, that now that you know God, Now that you have been justified, you view your tribulations and trials in life in a different way. He says, not only so, but now we also rejoice in our suffering. What? He says, now when you have tribulation in your life, which you will have, you have a different perspective towards it because you know, listen to me, now you know that it's not God punishing you, But now you know that there is a purpose in your suffering or your difficulty. What is that purpose? Now you know that all things work together for good to those that love God, to those that are called according to his purpose, that God has a purpose and a plan in the middle of your hardship. You say, well, pastor, I don't know what purpose and good could there be in my trial Well, listen, he says, because we know that suffering produces perseverance. What's perseverance? Perseverance is the ability to hang in there and do what's right even when it's hard. That's perseverance. So we know that our suffering, our hard time, produces the ability to keep doing what's right even when it's hard. 
and perseverance, if you keep doing what's right even when it's difficult, perseverance produces character. What's that mean? That it changes you on the inside. It deals with your heart. It starts changing selfishness to selflessness, hatred to love. It starts changing laziness to hard work. It starts changing faithlessness to be full of faith. It starts dealing with the core issues of your life. When you go through a difficult time and you keep doing what's right, even though no matter how hard it is, it produces character. And when you have character, you have hope. You have hope. And hope, hope is the expectation of a better future based on the promises of God. See, when you, when, when you start changing on the inside, then you start believing what God says. And when you believe what God says, then you have hope in the future. Listen, listen to me well. This is really important. When you, as a believer, have given your life to Christ, you may still go through some major trials in your life, but they will not squash you. They will not depress you. They will not eliminate you. If you have God on your side and you, and you are justified through faith, your difficult times will create in you a person of character. And your person of character will produce in you a person of hope. And hope does not disappoint. So you will go through your trial. And even in your trial, you will be the most positive, faith-filled, God-loving, strong, Jesus-honoring person on the face of this earth. And you say, well, how can that happen? Listen to verse 5. And hope does not disappoint us because, listen to me well, God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. Oh, did you just hear me, what I said? Did you just hear what I said? God has poured out his love. His incredible, powerful love. This unconditional agape love has been poured out on you. Listen, when I go to a restaurant, I'm a coffee drinker. In the morning, I have one coffee, and then I feel like I need another coffee, and then I may even have a third coffee. I know there's probably support groups for that. but <laughs> So when I drink my, the, the lady comes out and says, hey, can I, can I pour you another cup? She, she just pours it out, and it starts filling up. This is the image that God has given us, that God, the God of the universe, has dipped his heavenly container full of powerful, unconditional love, and he's found you because you're justified, because you no longer owe him, because Jesus had made, has made you clean, and he pours out his love on you. He pours out the love of God on in, in your life, not because you deserve it, not because you've earned it, but because you have access to his favor through faith and what Jesus has done on the cross. And he pours out his love on you. And how does he do it? He does it through the Holy Spirit. Who is the Holy Spirit? It's the third person of the Godhead, that power inside of you. He baptizes you in love. So suddenly, when you have not felt love before, have never felt like you were worthy, suddenly you start to feel like the God of this universe verse actually likes me, loves me, cares about me unconditionally because he's poured out his love through his Holy Spirit. 
What does that mean? Listen, here's what it means. It means that God, oh, this is so powerful. Before you knew God, you were alienated from him. You were an enemy of God. You say, well, I I didn't see myself as an enemy, but you were. It's like you distractedly run a couple red lights and the police see it and now they're chasing after you and you look in your rearview mirror and you say, I wonder who they're going after. (laughs) They come right up behind you and the officer comes and you roll down your window and he says, do you know that you just ran two stop? Oh, I, I didn't know that officer. Well, you may not have known that, but you are an offender. You've broken the law. You, there's a penalty you have to pay. Before we knew Jesus, we were enemies of God, alienated from God. We had a huge debt to pay. But once you've come to Jesus and once you receive that gift through faith, he, he's given you access to himself. And now, Not only has he given you access, but he says, now I want to do the biggest thing that I could ever do. I want to pour myself inside of you. And so God comes to live inside of us through the Holy Spirit. So now God himself, the God of the universe, actually lives in your body. So now where you go, God goes. There's not a place where you go that you will go today if you're a believer in Jesus Christ that God hasn't gone with you. You say, well, you know, I think I'm going to go to a strip club. You know, you can go to a strip club, but you are taking the presence of God right into that strip joint. God has just walked in with you. And I'm going to tell you something. If God walks in with you, you're going to feel conviction. Because God's going to say, no, no. You see that girl dancing in that pole there? I love her. And she has a dignity and a soul and a heart. And she's someone's little girl. Hey, listen, it's hard to enjoy the things you used to enjoy when the Holy Spirit, he's going to give you a new appetite because it's been poured out inside of your heart. And now lastly, number three, in verse six, it says, listen, you see at just the right time, while we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anybody die for a righteous man. Though for a good man, someone might possibly die, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So not only, not only we have the joy of God, have the peace of God, but we have the love of God. And I love what it says here. Listen, it says, you see, just at the right time, while we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. I'm about to wrap it up, so I want you to listen. This is really, really important. That word powerless, means that we were paralyzed. We had no strength of our own to change or do anything. 
You know, there's certain spiders that most spiders have a venom in them. And they'll catch an insect and they'll inject a venom in that insect and that venom actually paralyzes the prey. So the prey gets caught in a web and they paralyze it, they wrap it up, and the victim is still alive, that little insect is still alive, but they're paralyzed. I know that's not doing much for those of you that already have a phobia of spiders. I've just added to it, right? But, but what comes to mind is that, that sin had put its venom inside of us and made us paralyzed to change ourselves. The Bible says, while you were yet powerless, powerless to do what? Powerless to be right with God. Powerless to change your life and live for God. Listen, without Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit, you cannot improve your life enough to make yourself right before God. It's impossible. While you were yet powerless, ungodly, living in sin, where you are still down in the muck and mire of your garbage. This is what he says. While we were yet powerless, Christ died for us when we were ungodly. Not when we were good, he died for us, but when we were really bad. No one usually will die for a righteous person, let alone someone that's unrighteous. He says, but God seeing you and I powerless in our fallen state, he looked at us and he loved us even when we were unlovable. When you were full of envy and hatred and bitterness, God still loved you. When you were cavorting in your sin and falling over and over, not turning around and turning your back at God and raising your fist at the heaven, when you were running from God, God still loved you. When you were in your most desperate, darkest state where even your relatives didn't want to be around you, your friends said, what has gotten into this person? It was hard for your mother to love you. Even in that state, the God of the universe, blameless and holy, looked down at you and he loved you. You were powerless to reach out to him, but he reached out to you. You were powerless to change your life, but he said, I love you enough. I want to change you. Peace, joy, and the love of God.